Kairos, you can have a seat. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, tonight's a great night to spend some time worshiping Jesus and celebrating how good he really is. So tonight, one of the things I would love for you to do uh, as you're here, knowing that there's stories throughout this room. Like I, I was watching some of you come in today and I just realized there are countless stories things that are going well in some of your lives, some of your lives are, are falling apart, and yet in the middle of all this, God is really good. And so tonight, I just want you to look at your neighbor and just say, I'm glad you're here. Can you do that? All right, I'm glad you're here. All right, look to the person to the other side of you. Don't leave them out. Say, I'm glad you're here. All right. All right. Well, uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, why don't you turn with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 8 is our text for tonight. And uh, we are kicking off a new series tonight uh, called God Is, dot, 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 not what you think. So all of us have an experience with God. If you grew up in the South, it's likely that someone dragged you to church or you heard uh, Bible stories growing up in your home or you grew up uh, going to a Christian school or maybe um, you've heard about it from Friends, you've never really gone to church yourself, and tonight's one of the very first nights that you have actually darkened the doors of a church, which if that's you, we're so glad that you're here. I realize every night that we do Kairos is somebody's first time. It's their first time to come and engage with God. And so if that's you tonight, we think that that's something that God is doing, and we're really glad that you're here. And today, we're going to be talking about the concept of God being good. Now, A.W. Tozer says this. A.W. Tozer says... That what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me just read that again. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's what A.W. Tozer said. And the reason he said that is because the way that we perceive God directly affects the way we live our life. And I know that many of us live our life uh, with a uh, conflicted relationship with God. So some of us think about God almost like he's a... Uh, cosmic Santa Claus, right? We pray, and as long as we're on the good list, then God will give us good things. As long as we're not on the bad list, on the naughty list, then God's going to give us uh, that perfect spouse. He's going to give us that perfect job, that perfect story. And to be honest, that, that concept of God being a cosmic Santa Claus is maybe the most prevalent false idea of God in our culture today, where I must perform for God to give me good things. There's others of us who look at God almost like Thor, okay? You guys, anybody, Avengers fan here in the room, right? Many of us think of God as the God of thunder and lightning, that when we do bad things, he's going to throw a lightning bolt. Now, we may not think about Chris Hemsworth as God, right? That's, that's probably fair, right? Very, very hunky-looking deity, right? But most of us do think that if we sin and we've gone too far, God's going to smite us down. It may not be like a little lightning bolt, but it may be some kind of punishment. So when we've done something that we're ashamed of, we may look back at our story and go, man, it all started right here and God's been against me my whole life. Others of us think about God as the way that we see our earthly father. And for some of us, we've had a conflicted relationship with our dad. Maybe your dad was absent or maybe he was angry or maybe he was someone who hit you or did not ever tell you that he loved you. You may have a conflicted relationship with God because of 
the way your dad treated you. And let me just say, it's a safe space here tonight to, to struggle with God. That's what we want to do in this series. As we think about who God is and what he's all about, is we want him to speak for himself and we want to encounter him. Because one of the things that we want to see here at Kairos is we want to see a reclamation of wonder in worship. We want to have a deep, authentic experience with God. And so we have to make sure that we're worshiping the right one in order to have that. And so let's read the scriptures together. Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Now, out of this little verse, we're going to see three things. We're going to walk through three key ideas out of this very small verse. The first is that God is good. Now, you might say, obviously, I've been praying a prayer like that, like God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. You've heard that your whole life, but you may not have thought about what that really means or what that entails, that God is good. Sproul writes about God's goodness, and he says, as a divine attribute, goodness is first a description of God's essential character. It means that the Lord is not evil, that he cannot love sin, and indeed cannot even be tempted with evil. So fundamentally, when it comes to God's goodness, is that he defines what good is. His very nature defines what's right and good. And anytime we see something that we go, man, that's, that's excellent or that's good, it's a reflection of God's own goodness and his care for us. It's a picture of his goodness. But his goodness isn't just general goodness. It's also goodness that's directly attributed to his kids. See, the Bible tells us that God has a specific good that he gives to his people. Now, I know sometimes we think, like, hey, we're all God's children. Like, I've heard that a lot of times. Like, all people are God's children. So why would God only see some people as his children and others not? But the Bible tells us that those who confess their sin and give their life fully to Jesus, God adopts them. And he brings them into the, his family, and he gives them the same rights as a son as Jesus Christ, which is a radical concept. And he cares specifically for their good and has a plan for their life. Those who've trusted God with their life, God has a specific plan for their life. Now, I've got uh, three little girls, Abigail, Violet, and Georgia. We're also in the process of adopting a little boy. We don't know when that's going to happen. Um, but I love kids. I'm actually surprised by that, though, because when I was single, I wasn't sure I liked kids. Like, they were just kind of, like, always loud. And I was like, that's, they're really loud. But once I had kids, I realized I love children. Children are great. In fact, we were hanging out with some dear friends this weekend, and there was just an explosion of little girls. They have, they have four little girls. We have three little girls. There's so much screaming and giggles. It was insane, okay? We, we loved having all those kids in our house. But I think it's important for us to realize that every parent, while they may love all children, some parents don't like any children, but like, except their own. But like for, for most parents, you may like children generally, but you do love your own children specifically. I remember with my oldest, Abigail, um, my wife was pregnant with Abigail. We were on a mission trip to Israel. And I remember we were walking through the streets of Jerusalem and it got really hot and my wife started struggling because it was so hot and we were walking 
And all of a sudden, we started getting worried about the baby. And in that moment, I realized the love of a father for his child. I was like, man, God, I want this child. I, I, I will do anything for this child because of my love for her. I will lay my own life down for hers. Please spare her and take me instead. And that's what the love of a parent is for their child. And God loves you that way because he's a good father. He's not a bad father. He's not a distant father. He's not an angry father. He's not a God who's angry when you're enjoying life. He's a good dad. But the problem that we find ourselves with is that all of us are worried that God will make us miserable. That's what my pastor, Mike Glenn, says. All of us deep down somewhere in our heart, we wonder if God really is good, and we wonder if he wants to make us miserable. If we do things his way, that it's not going to be any fun, right? I guess it's fear we have. Just be honest, right? Just admit it. You may wonder, like, if I follow God, will that be good? Or will he keep something from me? And that goes all the way back to our very first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God made them good. He created them in a garden where God said it was good. All things that God made in the beginning were good. And then Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, you know what? You know what isn't good? God. God's keeping something from you. You see, God had given them an opportunity to eat from any tree in the garden except for one the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you can eat from anything except for this one. And Satan attacked that particular point in their life and said, the reason God doesn't want you to do that is because God wants to keep something from you. And every single one of us, we've all been in that same boat where we wonder, is God really for me because he's keeping this one thing that I really want out of my life? You see, the problem is when our idea of what our story looks like in our mind, when that idea collides with the reality of our life, we start wondering if God is good. So when people find that they, their parent has cancer, they start asking the question, and it's a fair question to ask, is God good in the middle of this? When we see the statistics of, of world poverty and hunger, and we go, how in the world does an all-powerful God allow these kinds of things to exist? How can God be good? When we ask ourselves in the middle of the night, when we feel the depth of loneliness, when we feel like we're not seen, and this can, this can happen whether you're married or single, by the way. Loneliness is not only a singleness issue. Every single one of us can feel desperately alone at times. And we may wonder, where is God in the middle of my life and my experience? And I just want you to hear tonight that if you're there where you're wondering about God's goodness, that God has an invitation for you. We're going to address that in just a moment. But I think we need to look at something else in this text before we get there, and that is this. Our happiness is tied to God's goodness. Let me say that again. Our happiness is tied to God's goodness. So first thing we saw is that God is good. Secondly, our happiness is tied to God's goodness. Let's look at the text again. Let's look at the second part of that verse eight. It says, how happy is the person who takes refuge in him? So what the psalmist is saying here is he says, every person who puts their hope in God and finds refuge in God will experience a measure of happiness that is not tied 
to their circumstances. What I'm gonna just say to you tonight, you know, I just kinda wanna put there, out there as a thesis, is that the greatest happiness you can ever experience is ultimately found in God. It's not found in how good you are at your job or how famous you are or that your dreams are coming true or that you're in love. And we all know that all those things are great, right? We've all been in love, or if you haven't yet, I hope that you will someday, where you just feel like, man, the, you're just kind of walking on air. But even that happiness is not as satisfying as our happiness that we can find in God. And the reason for that is because God has created you and me to be worshipers. And we will worship something or someone left our own devices. St. Augustine says this, he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. What Augustine is saying here is he's saying, every single one of us has ultimately been made to worship God. That is your purpose. And until you find your rest in God, you will always be looking for other things that will fill you, other things that you think will satisfy you. And you will ultimately come to a place where everything does not satisfy because all things other than God will ultimately fill you. So what do we do with that, right? If we say, my happiness is ultimately found in God, what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to, to get there? What am I gonna do when the things around me are just going sideways, everything's breaking, and the people that I love are sick, or when I lose my job, or I'm feeling desperately alone, what am I gonna do? And it's in those moments that Jesus becomes very real. It's in the hardest moments of our life where we find that God is not just someone that we read about, but he is alive and well in Nashville, Tennessee, and in your story. It's the times where we feel the most broken that God is closest. Because God says he's close to the brokenhearted. You see, the beautiful thing we see about Jesus is that Jesus did not stay in heaven saying, well, I made a good world. It's evidence of my goodness. I've created all things, and I hold them together by the word of my mouth. I'm, I'm good, and you guys keep screwing it up, right? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't go, hey, listen, I created this great plan. Everybody keeps on going sideways on it. I'm going to start over. What we find in Jesus is that God shows his incredible goodness in that he stepped out of heaven and into our story, and he became one of us. That's the beauty of the incarnation, that God shows his ultimate goodness in Jesus Christ. That he says, I will be with you. That's the name the angel gives to Jesus. The name Emmanuel literally means that God will be with you. So I don't know what you're going through tonight. You may be finding that you're at the end of your rope or you've been building sandcastles to your own glory and your own name, and they've been dissolving every night as the sea comes in and wipes it out. You might be going through a season where you've been building your life around somebody else, and now you found out that they weren't worth it. Even though they were wonderful, they weren't enough. My invitation to you is to be someone who finds refuge in God, because God is enough. Which brings us to our last thing. Okay, I want you to see this here. Look at, look at what it says about this relationship we have with God. Look at the very first word in verse 8. What is it? Can somebody say it? Be, nobody be shy. 
taste. All right, so uh, our senses are all really like a big part of our experience, you know, sight, taste, smell, touch, um, and hearing. Those are five. I think I've got all five, right? All five. They're all great, but taste is unique. It's unlike any of the others because you can see something at a distance and you can see it, but it's, it's definitely something you can keep at an arm's distance. Same thing with, with smelling. You can smell something at a distance, but you don't really fully enter into it. You can hear about something even over technology, but there's nothing quite like taste. In fact, if they ever made a movie theater where you could taste the stuff that was happening, it'd be the worst movie ever, right? Because you, <laughs> you have to enter into the moment. It's immersive, unlike anything else. And God invites us to be people who don't just hear about God or, or see God doing something in somebody else's life, but he invites us to taste how good he is. And so I've got a prop here. Some of you guys been wondering what this is. This right here is a box of Five Daughters Donuts. Does anybody know what Five Daughters Donuts is? Okay. So you know then, okay? 1,000 layer donuts. I have no idea how they counted, okay? 1,000 layers. But it is, uh, it is beautiful. In fact, I was telling uh, Boggs, I was like, you know, when I lifted it, it was heavy, which showed me that it was wonderful. And so I'm gonna just open this box and uh, show you what this box looks like. Can, you, can somebody get a zoom on this? All right, so we've got, we've got donuts with bacon. Bacon! If somebody says there's bacon on something, I'm just in automatically, okay? There's, uh, this one over here has got an actual raspberry on it. There's some that look like they're filled with cream. And I know some of you are like, what can I do to get Mike to give me one of those at the end of the service? You're already plotting. You're like, I'm coming up. Doesn't matter. I have no shame. I want a five daughters donut. Now, the reason we're doing this tonight is because, and I'm desperately hungry right now. I really wish I could eat one of these. Uh, but the reason we're doing this is because there's something powerful about tasting. See, I can tell you how good these donuts are, how they melt in your mouth. Mmm. It's like sinful, okay? Oh. And how they smell. Like, even right now, like, I'm actually worried that I may start drooling as I'm preaching, okay? I'm like, oh, it's so, smells so, so good. And, and I can hear other people tell me about testimonials about how good the donuts are, and I can even watch videos of people eating donuts, which would be really weird, but I could do it. And all those things can be true, but if I really want to enter fully into the experience of eating one of these donuts, I have to do what? Yeah, all right, I have to put it in my mouth. Even licking it's not enough. <laughs> that's, that's gross, but let's just be honest, right? But I have to actually commit, commit. I have to say, I'm going to take this donut right here. I'm gonna claim this delicious looking one right here. And I'm going to actually eat it. And here's, here's why I want us to, and see, like, this is, like, I've got a golden retriever. I do this with food. I, I'm sure you're going to do some of the same stuff. But here's, here's, here's the, the point. Um, many of us have seen God's goodness in other people's life, and we've heard about it from people, and we've, we've gone to church our whole life, and we've never fully committed. And we're wondering, where is the power? Where is God when it hurts? Where is God doing things. Is he really good? And let me just tell you, God is better than you can imagine. He's better than you can imagine. He's far more kind and loving and gracious and good than you 
can imagine. He's inviting you to come and taste. And I think that that's a piece for us as we consider closing out tonight. You know, I, I, I've been praying about how to finish out this, this sermon. And I believe that there are some of us in this room who have heard a lot about God and we're going through a hard time and we're really wondering how that fits together with what we've heard about God, but we've never fully entered into it. And for you, the step of, of tasting how good God really is, is to give him the thing that you're holding so fast to. Okay? You will never taste God when you're shoveling other things into your life and you don't leave any room for him. So would you right now consciously say, I'm going to pursue the Lord and I'm going to put this thing aside and I'm going to trust him with it. That's really what it means when it means to follow Jesus. It's saying, God, I'm going to give you it all. And I think there's some people in this room who need that tonight. In fact, I know it. And you know it. All of us carry a burden. Maybe it's the fear of man. You care what people think about you more than what God thinks about you. Maybe it's a fear of success. You don't know what would even happen if you did well. Maybe it's a fear of failure. Maybe it's just a lack of trust in God in the most basic relationships that you have. But God wants you to taste and see that he's good. And then the other action step I want to give you tonight is we're going to be doing some baptisms on August 4th. So that's in three days on Wednesday night right here in this room. We're partnering with Brentwood Baptist to baptize people who've had an experience with God that's changed their life. And there's something that is so similar to uh, the experience of eating something and the experience of, of baptism. You may be like, I don't see the connection, but let me just, let me just like walk, walk this out for you guys, okay? They're both experiences that you have to step into. So baptism, you have to choose to set aside time, declare that Jesus is Lord, and then immerse yourself in water. It's a sign. It doesn't save you. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But baptism is a step of obedience saying, I don't care who knows I love Jesus. I have tasted and I have seen that he is good. In a lot of ways, it's like a, a wedding ring. I've got a wedding ring on my hand. And uh, if I gave you this wedding ring, you would not be married to Tabitha. That doesn't work that way, right? Um, and if I took it off, I wouldn't cease to be married to Tabitha, but it definitely is a symbol of my relationship with Tabitha. If I didn't have it on, she'd be like, where's your ring, right? In fact, in fact, on the day we got married, we were driving from the church to the reception, and I had never worn jewelry before, so I'm playing with my ring, and I dropped it between the seats, and Tabitha freaked out. Like, we're in full wedding gear. She's like, you lost the ring in five minutes. We've been married five minutes, and it's gone, right? <laughs> and, and the same thing is true with our walk with Jesus. God cares that we, we tell everybody we, we love him. So I, I just want to just pray for us tonight. Some of us do need to get into the space where we say, God, I'm going to give you it all. Like, I'm really going to give you it all for real. Not playing. I'm in. And for you, that might be actually a step of salvation, although you may not have thought about this that way. You may have made a decision when you are younger, but tonight it's like a thing that you're doing as a grown-up for yourself. It's your own faith. And you're saying, I'm in. 
And then there's others who may need to take a step beyond that to get baptized, to say, I want everybody to know that I am crazy about Jesus. And if that's you, I'll encourage you to just wrestle through that right now. So I'm going to pray, Jesus, thank you that you have shown yourself over and over and over again to be good in my life. You, you are good. And I say that as a testimony, not because I have to because I'm, I'm a pastor. I say that because of the times when I felt broken and alone and all my friends had gotten married and I was on my on my own and I didn't know what you're going to do and you were with me in the middle of that time. I say it because there were times where I thought my life was in the balance, but you showed me you were, you were there with me. I say it because even now I look back at the life that I've lived and I see how you've been with me every step of the way and that gives me confidence that in the future you're going to be with me every day of my life. And that the greatest gift that we could ever receive is to say, God, um, I want you to adopt me. I want you to, to show me your goodness. And I want to begin. And so for anybody in this room, I just want to not move too quickly. If anybody in this room has never trusted Jesus, and I know there's someone in here who hasn't. This is not any kind of gimmick or ploy. I just know that in a room like this, there are people who are coming in and just falling apart. You know that Jesus is calling you to himself. And if that's you, would you just pray this with me? Let me just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving your life for me. And I don't understand all of it, but I do know that I want you. And I want to find my refuge in you. And I want to find my happiness in you. And I want to find my joy in you because you are good and you're never going to let me some of you guys, you're tasting that goodness right now. God is working in your heart. He's, he's opening a door you've never, ever opened to his mercy, his compassion. You're feeling his presence right here in this room. You didn't think it was going to happen tonight, but God is doing that work right now. And I pray that you have the courage to taste and see that God is good.